And that's one good-looking man, isn't it? Hey, uh, glad you guys are doing well tonight. Everybody good? No school? Summer's all right? Nobody been to jail yet? Yet? Hey, if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead. There's Bibles on like every other chair. Um, If you have your Bible on your phone, you have your Bible with you, that's great. If church is new to you and you don't have a Bible, um, please take a Bible with you. We are a church that loves the Bible. The Bible is our central focus and where we, we learn from and teach from. If you have a Bible at home and you're just lazy, read that one. If you have like six Bibles at home and you come to churches and steal them, I pray that God will give you diarrhea and scurvy for the rest of the week. So please do not steal a Bible if you just have like a bunch of like precious moments and Gideon Bibles and all of that stuff. Well, I'm glad to be here. Like I said, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm the next gen pastor, which means I'm Derek's boss. Yeah, you've seen Derek, right? Like Hercules and stuff like that. But Derek's a great guy. You guys have a great high school pastor. I'm originally from uh, West Palm Beach, Miami, South Florida. Anybody else from South Florida? Home of the Miami Heat. It's like all two of you. Also, if you know, home of the, uh, uh, the guys that have been eating people's faces. You've seen the news? How many of you guys have seen that about the, yeah, about the guys? And there was a guy yesterday smoked too much weed and went to go nibble on somebody's face. Now, let me, let me I, I have been a student pastor for a long time, okay? And uh, I spent a lot of time working with kids with drug, alcohol problems, all of that stuff. And I know a lot of stoners. But I'll be honest with you. I've never seen a stoner like smoking a blunt with his friend and going, hey, man, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to go nibble on some white boy's face. <laughs> Half of them can't even get off the couch. But that's where I'm from, uh, from Miami. I love church. I love high school students. I love where we're at, and I love the Word of God. And so we're going to dive right in. If you have one of these Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, start on page 1092. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Acts. It's called Acts because it is the actions of the first church. Let me give you, we're in chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. That's Acts chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. It's called Acts for this. It is the actions of the first church. Basically what happened is, you guys may know the story, there were 12 disciples followed Jesus. Jesus came, performed miracles. I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, but it's cliff notes. Come on, we're out of school. Let's go to the short version. And Jesus dies, is in the tomb for three days, resurrects, comes back for an extended amount of time, is hanging out, and then basically in Acts 1 says, peace out. He doesn't say peace out, but he says, I'm I'm going. I've equipped you. I've given you wisdom. I've given you the ability to go do this. Now go be the church. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that seems kind of scary. I mean, here you're with Jesus and you're following Jesus. And the truth be told, if you had been following Jesus through those years, you've seen some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, Jesus is at the end of an alley and there's a blind man and Jesus spits in the mud, picks up the mud, puts it in the guy's eyes. I believe finished creating his eyeballs and the man can see. A guy in his middle age who has never seen the color anything, never seen the color blue, black, doesn't know what anything looks like, can now see again. Jesus is also at the feet sometimes of, 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 of a harlot, a hooker, that's down there and says, hey, you know what? They're about to stone her. And by stone her, I don't mean what the zombies do. I mean, like, they're throwing stones at her. And he says, who calls you a sinner? 
And if there's no one else, then I do not either. Go and sin no more. And, and so you're, you're following Jesus who had changed the world as we know it. And now he's gone. And, and this is what I liken it to before we start. I don't know about you, but I got saved at youth camp when I was 15. The only reason I went to youth camp was because there were hot girls. Had nothing to do with Jesus, not dodgeball, but I liked girls in short shorts. That's it. I was 15 years old. That's why I went. Somebody invited me. I liked cute girls. It's summertime in Florida. I'm in. Okay? And that's the reason I wanted to go. But then I got saved. God radically changed my life, what I saw, what I, what I did. And, and, and I, I knew that I was a sinner and needed, and I needed Jesus and I needed to be there. And I wanted to be there. And God changed my life. But then I remember after camp, I mean, like, if you've ever been to youth camp, it's like four days of raising your hands and kumbaya, and I love Jesus, and everybody's cool, and we're, we're holding hands, and everybody's awesome, and, and everything's great. And then the real world happens. I step back on my campus, and, and life hits you in the face, and you're like, well, well now what do I do? Because I'm not about in the middle of my class to be like, I stand with arms wide open in the middle of my class. How do I have that posture of worship in the real world? And so here we have these 11 guys because one of them betrayed Jesus and ended up hanging himself. And so we have 11 guys. In the first part of Acts, they come back and they elect a new guy to come in. And so we have these early disciples and they're trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out what life looks like. Trying to look at what the next mission of Jesus looks like. And basically trying to figure out what community looks like. So the whole book of Acts, to give you that kind of precursor, is about the actions of the first church. Uh, basically how 11 men with empowered by the Holy Spirit, has now become the largest religion of our day 2,000 years later. I mean, Christianity affects everything. Whether you believe it or not, whether ever countries go and believe it or not, it influences everything that we do. Think not, what day is it, okay? It's June 20... Hey, thank you. June 28, I don't do well at math. June 28, 2012. We get to 2012. It influences our culture, whether it's a spiritual thing or not. Christianity, death, resurrection of Jesus, influences our culture. And they're trying to figure, how do we do this church thing? We're a group of 11 people. How do we go and take what Jesus taught us and take it out? And see, uh, this is a big part of what we here at 12 Stone are about, too, is about community. We want you to know each other. We want you to feel equipped and empowered so when you're at school that you have friends and people that you can do life with that share your same viewpoints that you can sit there and when times get tough and, and you fail a class or, or, or you're not doing well in a test or somebody's bullying you or, or you feel like you have no friends that you can find people that are saying, I love Jesus first, therefore I love you. So we want to create a sense of community. So what I'm going to do, I want, to, I want you guys to do something a little bit different. You can put your Bibles, your phone or everything just on the side for a second because I'm going to do something. In a, in a minute, uh, in a second, you go ahead and put that slide up there with the four questions um, that I have. I want you guys to take four minutes to, to stand up and meet some other people around you and ask these four questions. They're very simple questions, okay? Just your name, your school, your grade. Just share that with somebody with you. Here's the question. If you could be a superhero, who would you want to be? Okay? How long have you been twelve, coming to 12 Stone? And finally, who knows you the best? Look at me. When you stand up, do me a favor. Like, there's some leaders in the back, band people. You're all part of this. Go find somebody. Maybe from this side, go over this way. If there's a real creepy dude that comes up to you, ladies, let me know. We'll get rid of him, all right? We'll bounce him out. If somebody comes up to you and starts, hey, baby, that's a creeper. We have a no creeper role here. 
If you are that creeper, put away the raincoat and go home. Okay? So, everybody stand up, meet some people, answer those questions. Grab a seat. All right. Anybody want to share what superhero you'd want to be? The Hulk? Okay. I get that. Green Lantern, okay. Superman. Superman. Any characters not in tights? I mean, Hulk. Bumblebee, you want to be a car? I like that, okay. Thor, gotcha, okay. Shh. Sit down, people. All right. Okay, quiet. Don't make me get the Ritalin and leash. Okay, I did that because here's the deal. Everybody pretends to be a superhero at some point. Like, I have, I have an eight-year-old boy and, and a six-year-old boy, and they run around the house sometimes, try to jump off tables, try to jump, and they make up characters of who they are, and, hey, I'm invisible, you can't see me, and you're like, you're standing in front of me, and, and, and things like that. I mean, and, and even as we grow older, there's parts of us, because what? They have something that we don't. And here's the problem, is like, when you watch some of these TV shows, a lot of them, these guys are like, well, I'm Peter Parker during the day, and then I'm Spider-Man, and I'm Bruce Banner, and then I'm Derek Idle. You know, like, all that stuff is, you, you have those, who your identity is. And this is what I want to show us as we study in Acts 3 in a moment, is having a restored identity. Now, let me tell you, a few years ago, I used to travel and speak and do this a good bit. And one day, I was in, I was in an airplane, I was going to cross the country, and I was just, it was late at night, I was tired, I put my bag down. I, I had about three or four hours until my next flight. I was going, and for some reason or another, I had lost my wallet and my ID. And in it was my plane. I had left my bag somewhere, and I went up, and I went up to the counter, and the lady was like, okay, you know, what's your name? Told my name. They're like, well, we need a phone number or social security or something like that. Well, here's the thing. It was like three years ago. Like, it's all in my phone. Like, to be honest with you, my wife has had the same phone number for a long time, and I can tell you, like the first three digits, but I don't know it. I mean, how many of you guys memorize people's phone numbers anymore? And so, really? <laughs> I like no 911. Like if something's on fire or a man comes in my backyard with a bat and a pit bull, that's all I need to know, okay? I don't remember everybody's phone number. And a lot of times I'll say, give you the phone, give me, go ahead, put it in, and then I sign their name. And so I had no idea. I knew what my phone number was, but my wife had booked it for me. I had no idea what it was. And I had to spend the next hour and a half trying to prove to somebody that they were Kevin Monaghan. And I was like, can I call my mom and tell her? Like, what? They're like, what's your mom going to do? Like, and, and, and I'm like, well, I had no ID on me. I had no way to verify who I was. I'm like, well, I have my social security number. Well, we don't ask that when you book it. And like, so I went through this whole thing and I was very frustrated. 
because I had no way to get my ticket. I knew I had about two hours. I ended up getting to a policeman and taking care of it all. But the problem is it really struck me is that a lot of us try to figure out who we are. And you may even in this group sit there and say, well, I come to this youth group. Some of you have a lot of friends and it's really easy for you to make friends. And some of you, it's really difficult. And some of you may fit the mold of, hey, I'm the musician type, or maybe I'm the emo kid type, or maybe I'm the athlete kid type, or maybe I'm the jock kid, or maybe I'm the nerd kid, or whatever you fit. Maybe you're like a whole plethora, and like every year it changes for you, like you're piercing your lip, and then you're reading books, and the next thing you know, you're playing lacrosse, or whatever, you, you know, like you change. And that's the amazing thing. The truth of the matter is you guys get older, you're going to look at your high school years, and you're going to be like, I can't believe I cut my hair like that. I'm so different than where I am. I did my, one of my reunions just a few years ago, and everybody just looks different, okay? And there is a change in your identity, but the core of who you are should not change. So let's open up your Bibles. We're going to walk through this. I, am, uh, I believe two things. I believe the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture, so I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. We're going to go back and forth, but let's just crack at it. This is Acts 3. Beginning uh, in verse 1, if you need a Bible, you got one, you've gone through it. We're beginning on page 1092. And this is what it says. It says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. I want to stop right there with my first thing. Here's you're going to find a current theme through all Scripture. No matter what you read on Scripture, you're going to find that Jesus put people in pairs. This is Peter and John. Peter and John, Jesus called them together. They are like the SpongeBob and Patrick of their day, okay? Where you find one, you find the other. It's like Bert and, very good, okay? Kim Kardashian and, well, it depends on what week it is. Okay, but you have, you have, am I wrong? Okay, so you have these two guys that are together. Listen, when Jesus raised up from the dead, it was Peter and John that went together. They are all together. So these are best buddies. These are guys that know each other really well. And I wanted to ask you that question of like, who knows you the best? Because a lot of you would say, well, I've got my best friend. If you're a girl, you have a BFF. If you're a guy and you have a BFF, we've got a problem. No other guy just says, yo, man, that's my BFF. We're going to play some hoops. Guys, how many of y'all have ever had a BFF conversation with your friend? Really? It's just one, and he's pointing to his friend. Like, that's the whole, guys don't have that, man. I want you to be my BFF. I don't think girls have, I want you to be. But, okay, guys don't have BFFs. Move on, Monahan. Okay, but this is his best friend. They're doing life together. They've done life together. They've walked through this. So here's my first point for you. Is God designed us to do life together? is you're not designed to walk through your relationship with God. You're not designed to walk through these trials, through all of these things, but you're designed to do life together. Can we put that up, please? We're, that's my first point. I want you to get that, that there is an intentionality, a design in that of God creating something, saying you are designed to do life with somebody else. That's why church and community is so important. That's why we push small groups. That's why we want you to be around leaders. That's why you're designed to have good friends. God wants you to have that. It's very difficult for you to grow in your walk with God if you don't have somebody around you that's helping you. Because here it is. Let's be honest. Just where you're at, I want you to think of the th your three closest friends. Okay? Could ever, it could be. I will tell you this. Somebody told me this a long time ago about who your friends are. That they are either one thing or the other. The first thing, they are either a map of where you're going or a mirror of who you are. Let me repeat that. That your friends are either a map of where you're going. Look at some of your friends. You know how I can tell? And, oh, no, we're original. You're not that original. 
Okay, I walk through the mall and I see people that try to act original. You're not that original, okay? You can go to any mall in America and see the same types of people. And here's the whole thing. My sister was a cheerleader, okay? I was the farthest thing from cheerleading. I mocked cheerleading. I didn't like cheerleading. I thought the only people that liked cheerleading were cheerleaders and their moms. I, I was not a big cheerleader. My sister, cheerleader. Loved it, was good at it, gymnastics. All her friends were bright and bubbly and fake dyed their teeth and walked around. That's who they were. That's who she wanted. That's great. I played soccer. I learned how to play. I'm all my friends. I played in South Florida. Most of my friends were Spanish. I learned how to play the game in Spanish. I play in English sometimes. I still don't know how to play. And so I learned how to do that. I learned how because that was a map of going. Or they're a mirror of who you already are. So either the people that you put around you are really, really important. Can I tell you this? Look at me real quick. Some of you right now are in this situation where you're kind of dating this new person or wanting to date this new person. You're hanging out with this new person or you've seen this new person and you'd like to date them. Who you date is so vital. And if you don't think so, most of us can sit there and think of a friend that was awesome and really great and spent a lot of time with you and was doing really well and then dated some loser. And what happened? They became the loser. You look around and, and, and it's like, man, you used to be fun and happy and you used to be involved. And now, man, you're not doing well in school. You're not coming to church anymore. You're not. And listen, here's the thing, ladies. Let me, let me tell you this. Let me just speak to the ladies. I want to challenge you in something. To really wait for that strong, godly man. And to be honest with you, this church and a lot of churches, we've got a lot of kind of neat Christian guys who know how to walk the talk, come to church, you know, dress a lot. But we don't have a real lot of godly men. And I would tell you, this church, just our whole department is doing our best to raise guys that, that fear God, that love God, that want to treat you well. So that when, when you meet a godly man that is so seeking after God's heart, you, that you have to seek God's heart to really see his. And they are worth it. Don't settle. They don't settle for some guy just with like six-pack abs and a cute smile who tells you you're beautiful. Now, if he loves Jesus and has 12 abs, awesome. I mean, great. But let me tell you something. I used to have six-pack abs. Now I just have one. Okay? I get it. So it's not that sexy. Okay. is. It's the thing that, but I have people. I've been married 13 years. I love my wife. I love her. She's awesome. There was nothing I would do for that woman. I am committed to her, to my family, and all of that stuff. But it's not easy. It's not. Anybody who's been married more than like one year can tell you marriage is difficult. But I want you to hold on to that. But I want you to get that you're designed to do life together. So this is what I want you to do. If you, if you have somebody that's in your world that has been a very strong Christian influence to you, Maybe it's your grandmother, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your brother, your sister, somebody that you feel is like, you know, you've helped me become more like Jesus. I want you to think of who that person is. I'll be honest, I was saved when I was 15, youth camp. My parents wanted nothing to do with the church. I couldn't get baptized until I was 18, wanted me nothing to be part of the church. But I had few men that came and said, listen, I want to pour into you, I want to disciple you, I want to teach you how to teach, I want to teach you how to disciple, mentor, do all of that stuff. But if you've got somebody in your mind, this is what I want you to do. If you have a cell phone, I'm going to give you permission to text in church, okay? Just one person, maybe two. 
But I want you to pull out that phone and send this person a text of encouragement just saying this. Thank you for, making, for helping me be more like Jesus. If you have somebody, I'm going to repeat that. If you have somebody in your life, I want you to text them, thank you for helping me become more like Jesus. Now, the truth of the matter is, many of us don't have that. And let me tell you, it doesn't change as you get older. I know a lot of guys, I know a lot of pastors that don't have mentors, people pouring into them, people doing that. Okay, when you're done, put it down. No angry birds or... Okay. So we are designed to do life together. So here we go, Peter and John. And they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So you know what this means? This is a regular routine. The temple was there going to church. This was about the ninth hour. There Psalms 55 talks about three different types of prayer throughout the day. This was one that was kind of in the afternoon, typically around three o'clock, and they would go prayer. As I recall, this is also where they would do sacrifice. So it was the biggest prayer of the day. Okay, so people go, so they're on their way doing something routine, doing something that they normally do, going up to that prayer at, oh, it is three in the afternoon. (laughs) Read. Okay, now, a man who was lame from birth, that doesn't mean he's like a loser, how lame? It means that he was crippled, that he couldn't walk. Now, what that means is he couldn't take care of himself. And we think today, listen, we've got friends and people, and I've got that may be born with something that they can't walk or some kind of handicap. And no matter where you go, every building has to have handicap access and all that stuff. And I'm grateful that we, we can do that. The last, one of the last churches I was at had a ministry for that. It's awesome. They're great people. But I want you to go back in time 2,000 years. This is basically an agrarian set where people got raised money or got money basically from farming. And farming is tough work. Anybody have any family that does farming? Great. That, you have to be like a manly man, okay? Those guys are up at like 4 o'clock in the morning. A lot of them work hard. they got to fix stuff. It's dirty. You work, it's manual labor, okay? This guy couldn't do that. So from birth, I want you to show that, that he is used to that. He's used to not being there and who was being carried to the temple gate. So guess what? He had friends that took care of him. Now I want you to get this. My first point was this, that we were designed to do life together. This is still part of that. Because listen, he had friends that were taking them to the best spot. Because where they were going is the temple where church was happening. That's where the people were going. They're going to the gate. This gate was called Beautiful. I mean, I assume it was beautiful. I did some research. It took 20 strong men to close the gate. It was that big and ornate. It was a great place. I mean, beautiful means the same thing as we get the word beautiful. I mean, if you had to transliterate in today's time, it was a place called hotness, okay? Whatever it was, okay? But it was a very beautiful place where they came at. This guy wanted the main point. This is where he's at. He's a professional beggar, okay? He's been that way his whole life. He's got buddy of his that pick him up and take him. They're getting their spot. There were about three different places that were key in getting the most amount of money, and the temple was probably the most prosperous. Two reasons. You know why? First of all, that's where everybody was going. And second of all, when you go to church, people feel a little bit more spiritual about stuff. And they sit there. It happens today. People walk in our church all the time. Oh, it's in church. i got to give some money. Oh, i got to behave myself while I'm in church. Parents tell their kids that. And one of my biggest fears is that we've tried to raise a whole generation of moral kids and discarded raising a generation of holy kids. I want my kids to be holy, to fear God, to honor and love the brotherhood. I don't want them just to not be doing drugs or not sleeping around. That's morality. It's important. 
But at the same point, there's a big difference. And so these people are coming in and they feel guilty. They feel like they're going to give somebody. Many of us have been in our cars and pulled up to a corner and you see somebody who wants some food or wants some money and you feel guilty. If you saw somebody poor and disabled right at the front of our bridge, you'd probably give them money. That'd be a great way to do it. It's the key point. So they're walking up there on their way to church. He's at the gate and he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said this, look at us. I, I want to stop there because I want to kind of play this scenario. You're going into a big crowded room. You know you're going to worship God. You know you're going to feel spiritual. And here's this guy that's just basically sitting there and saying, alms, I want money. I want money. I need this. Here's my fear with this, is this guy's thinking that money is going to solve his problems. That a few pieces of silver or one piece of gold is going to make his life easier. And it probably made it a little bit easier for a certain amount of time. But this guy had no expectation about what God is doing. This guy was probably 25, 30, 40 years old in that age range. He had probably a long time said, this is who I am. I'm never going to walk. I'm never going to do anything else. Had probably lost all hope and would just sit there and I think for a few pieces of silver, I'm going to buy happiness. Now, this is what I'm asking you. How many of us have sacrificed our attention and our affections for a few pieces of silver? It reminds me of a conversation that a guy had with this pretty lady one time on an elevator, and he walked up to her and said, you know, how about, um, how about you, you come back to my hotel room and we'll fool around for 100 bucks? And she's like, no way. It's like, what about 1,000? She's like, really? It's like, she's like, no. She's like, listen, I'm a rich man, pulls all this money out and says $10,000. You come upstairs and she's like, Really? Okay. Is that your best offer? And he goes, all right. How about $10? She's like, well, what kind of woman do you think I am? And he said, I already know what kind of woman you are. We're just negotiating over the price. So there's this option in her mind that she could be bought. And I think so many of us in a moment, for just a few pieces of happiness, will sacrifice God's long-term plan. And so what do we do in that? I mean, it's, it's like PK, our pastor, said a few weeks ago. What do you do? You run. Real men run. Real women flee. For all of us, there's that two to three second window that you, can, you know what you're watching on the internet is not good. You know you shouldn't be there. You know that boy that you can't get off your mind, but you know he's bad for you. You know when that kid next to you who knows your math problems 50 times better than you you have about two or three seconds to react to that. Now, I'm not saying an algebra class, get out and run down the hall. What I'm saying is like physically turn your eyes from that. Shut off your computer. Go for a run. I know with my wife, her and I, when we first got married, we would get into these kind of heated arguments because I was always right in this game. And what I decided was, hey, you know what? Every time we get an argument and anything gets heated, we're just going to stop and I'm going to go for a run. I lost 23 pounds that year. I did. Because I learned, and I came back, and I was tired and exhausted. I didn't want to fight, and I realized what an idiot I am. I mean, Romans 7 talks about it. It talks about where Paul says, who is Paul who wrote most of this New Testament, said, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't do, I, I keep on doing. Who can save this wretched body of death? I get it. This is the most spiritual man in our Bible. 
And he's saying, what I want to do, when I want to follow God, when I want to be after him, I end up being so selfish that I don't do it. And what I want to stop doing, I mean, I know some of you have been through some of these things and you've prayed about it and you've given to God and you've sang about it and you've put pieces of paper in a fire and you've nailed sins to a cross and you've sworn you're never going to do it again. And it's like some kind of offering to God thinking, God, take my works and change me. And I will tell you, those are just a few pieces of silver. Because ultimately, God's got something much bigger for this guy. Much bigger. And I challenge you, as we go through this, to read this, is that Jesus is all we need to be fully restored. That's all he needs. Now, I'm telling you, it's not just simply a prayer. It's not just simply like a one-time thing. I'm not just, hey, Jesus, come fix this. Hang up. But this guy needs to be restored. He knows he needs healing. But he's not going to stop He's not going to stop Peter, John, and be like, okay, I just met you, and, and I know this is crazy, but heal me maybe? Just kidding. All right, so like, he's not just going to say that. He's going to have this anticipation of, you know what, only a few pieces of silver is going to make me happy. What's that silver to you? I want you to think about that. What are those one things, maybe it's what you see on the internet, maybe it's something you drink, smoke sing about, maybe it's those movies your parents don't want you to watch or you shouldn't be watching, but you watch them anyways that you kind of rebel against God, that's something that satisfies you just a little bit. I don't know what it is, but God does. And sometimes he's saying, you know what, why are you so satisfied with the simplest things? Some of you need bigger vision. You need a grander belief. Sometimes we put God in such a small box. Let's roll on. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. So he says, listen, here, here's a few things about this. First of all, is that he uses the name of Jesus Christ. Through all of this, Every miracle in the Bible as you read through these things has the name of Jesus attached to it in the New Testament. That there are these things of saying it's either done by Jesus, but these guys are also reflecting of who Jesus is. Jesus may not be with me physically, but I'm doing this in his name. First Corinthians talks us about being ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? Whenever I hear that word ambassador, I think of Star Wars. You remember all those guys that sit in the bed in like the first few movies, they sit there and they're all the ambassadors and the guy that kind of looks like half crab, half donkey, half elephant or whatever. And they're all like weird to make. Those are the ambassadors. Those are the representatives of their country. And it's the same way. You are Christ's ambassadors. Some people, man, the only thing they're ever going to hear about Jesus is you. Hmm. So this man jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and praising and praising, walking and jumping and praising God. Here's the other thing. It was instantaneous. I, I know that sometimes there's a heresy that you can hear that, that sometimes that, uh, I, don't get me wrong, I believe you have to have faith. But sometimes pain and struggle is what God uses to glorify. And there may not be an easy answer out. Sometimes cancer is going to hit one of your parents or somebody that you know. Maybe it already has a grandparent. Or divorce is going to, and you may, you may pray and have all the faith in the world and God still chooses not to heal them. Where God still 
allows your parents to get divorced. This man wasn't asking for it. His healing, it wasn't a necessity for him to even be involved. And it shows me that there are some times that God just does what God wants to do. No planning, no preparing, just a sense of God just does what God wants to do. And his sovereignty, God sometimes just says, I'm going to heal this person. And their faith has nothing to do with it. So go on. It was a complete healing. It wasn't something that like God just touched him one time and all right, in a few weeks you're going to get better. In a few weeks things will be okay. It was God, when God touches you and God is part, there is a completeness of it. There is no half salvation. There is no half redemption. See, God is all in when he's all in. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who sit, begging at the temple called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Here's my last pain is that this, that every pain and every victory is given to bring glory to God. Let me just kind of review these three points. First of all, we're designed to do life together that Jesus is all we need to be restored, and that every pain and every victory is given to bring glory to God. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe this morning, like Psalms 19 says, that the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God? So when you wake up in the morning, you can see this beautiful sunset that is etched on the canvas of what we call earth, that God is with us. Let me share this final story with you about Three years ago, I was on a cruise with my family. My mother-in-law was turning 60. And at the time, I had a four-year-old boy, my oldest, Jacob, at the time. And while we were on that trip, we started noticing that Jason would kind of like get real sleepy. His eyes would kind of roll back and he'd kind of like fall asleep instantly like this. And we thought, well, maybe he's just tired. Maybe he's in a new place. And people started noticing like he'd be swimming and he'd just kind of fall in the pool. He'd get eight hours of sleep, he'd be fine, and then something happened. Took him back to a doctor, and the doctor said, I don't know what's happening with him. Never seen this before. Maybe it's narcolepsy, maybe it's epilepsy, whatever. Went through a few more doctors. It took a period of about three months of us going to almost every doctor in South Florida. Doctors in other places. We live in a great time now that you can put CAT scans and PET scans and EEGs and stuff on a thumb drive and send them and email them and get them. And basically my son would have this whole thing where he would stand and without any provocation, without any notice, he would stop and all his body would just shut down. And I remember walking through at Walmart with my kid and he'd be like, hey, daddy, and just he'd have no idea it happened. Now let me tell you, there's nothing scarier than being with a dad. And nothing sadder than see your son run in a full sprint and like that, hit a wall because he's got no idea what's happening. And he doesn't move and you don't know how long it's going to last. And he ended up having 25 to 30 of those a day. Anywhere from 10 seconds to 3 minutes. And he would wake up screaming and horrified because the pain that caused 30 seconds ago, his body just registered it. And we went all over the country talking to doctor after doctor and just praying and praying. sorry. You know what? I'm not sorry. Okay. Fast forward to the last two years in Arkansas, 
It was a great program, great doctors, great schooling, all of this for him. And this week, we are happy to know this has been one year since my son has had a, a, a seizure. We believe God's healed him, that the power of prayer and of fasting, that God is there. But I will tell you this. For a long time, I put a lot of value in what I could do for the kingdom. And God broke me to a place of saying, when you were, have no control over, I had no control over what my son was doing. I was willing to go work at the mall. I was going to go work at ta- clean tables, do whatever I needed to do to take care of my son and my family. And God broke me to a point of saying, hey, Kevin, this is for my glory. Now, I'm not, I'd be lying to you if I believed that every day. And was that my banner? But towards the end, I got this. God's son holds my son. In a moment, we're going to have the band come up here and just kind of close this out in a song. And I I want you to think of this because I know that there are a few of us that can resonate with this. And I want you to ask you this this question. Yeah, you guys can come up, start playing. I want to ask you this question. Who do you represent in this scenario, in this story? Are you the lame beggar? Are you the guy that's sitting there and saying, you know what? I'm satisfied this is what it is. This is who I am. I've got nothing really off, left to offer. Yeah, you guys come up. Come on. It's all right. I don't bite. Well, sometimes. But, but who are you? Are, that, are you that lame beggar who's satisfied just kind of where you're at and haven't asked God or expected something from God? Stay with me. I know they're good looking. Or maybe you're Peter and John and you're sitting there and say, hey, Kevin, I want to go and be used by God more. I want to go and I want to I want to be so connected to God that even on my way to church, see, that's one of the things, look at me, that's one of the things I didn't really expound on is that happened outside of church. And listen, don't get me wrong. I love the church. I love his bride. You can't say I love Jesus, but I don't love your bride, Jesus. We need the church. We need each other. But equivalent, that happened in the parking lot. And it happened with people that were coming. Not the priests, not the pastors. And so I want to challenge you. Some of you, God's equipped to heal. Some of you, God's equipped to share, share um, sh- to teach. Some of you, he's called you with mercy, with the gifts of encouragement, with the gift of helps. All that the Bible comes, certain gifts to go and do that. And God's called you to do that. But here's my fear. The last part, you can play. The last part is most of us are the crowd. They're really just kind of watching people really don't know what we're adding to either side. We watch spiritual things happen. We see God move that we're really not taking part of. Before I close, I want to tell you the end of that story. See that man who was lame that people had disregard, thought he was like the outcast of society, would become the catalyst for starting the church. Because what those next verses talk is that he goes before the religious leaders of the day and all of them are saying, how can this man be healed? Jesus gets put on the map in front of the government, in front of the world, in front of the influencing authorities of that day. And they want to know who is this Jesus? And is the faithless this man? Because this man goes crazy and just can't stop telling people about Jesus. And so as we sing in a few minutes, I just, we're going to start with just a calmness and just an opportunity for you to pray. Let's do this. Can you guys just stand up? Could you turn the lights? I feel like a deer in it, just a little bit, a little bit lower. Go ahead and stand up just kind of where you're at. And let me pray for you guys, and then our worship team is going to lead us. I want you to know, as 
You guys go and do your things. I'm here. Other pastors and leaders are here. Our staff to pray with you. Just kind of wherever you are. Thank you for the honor of putting up with this chubby Irish boy tonight. I, I appreciate it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I am humbled to even be part of your plan. I am honored to just be here. And Father, and I'm honored to be at this time where some of these students that have never heard about God, maybe this is one of their first times being here and they haven't got this whole church or God thing figured out and what I got to do and where I got to be. And Father, I just, I pray that we would just put some of that aside and just focus on who you are. And God, specifically, I pay for the three types of people in here. Those who, first of all, that feel like God has nothing more for them. Oh, Father, you've created them to be both beautiful and reckless with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go change their world, to make bold crossings of faith for you. Would you encourage them and strengthen them? Father, for those also who are saved and just want to take their next level with with God, Father, would you just call to them? There are some that feel called to ministry. Maybe they need to make that public, Father. There's some that just, I want to be so evident that God's with me that, Father, I get every opportunity to be Jesus in my world. Father, for those who are following you but just want to take it to the next level. And then, Father, for the rest of us that feel like they're just the crowd, they're the onlookers, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't, they know that they're supposed to be part of this worship thing. They don't, they don't even have the first step. Father, we thank you for them being here. And I pray, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, as we sing and as we pray, Father, that you alone would be honored and worshiped. Father, we sing and we give our hearts completely to you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.